0: In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. So, as we've begun this new year, I've been challenging you to listen for Jesus. Now we're all the way through January and into February, and I'm still recommending. Offering to you as advice, wisdom from the ages to listen to Jesus. And if you've been doing so, you maybe are having a good year thinking good things are happening. I'm making good progress. I'm listening better. I'm more focused. But I know for some, obstacles have arisen. Circumstances have changed. Uncertainty and anxiety and fear have begun to creep in. Perhaps it's not been a good year so far for you. We know so many in our church family are suffering from sorrow and grief because we've had so many different families experience death. It's easy for fear and anxiety and uncertainty begin to creep in and grip our souls. And sometimes it gets so bad that it wakes us up at night. In our story today, Jesus awakes in the night. He awakes in the night before morning. The text doesn't really tell us why. It doesn't really give us the reasons why. But perhaps there's some clues in the language as we look at it closely. In verse 35, Mark writes, In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. Now one of the biblical commentators I read this week said, pay attention to the vocabulary that Mark is using. When he says very dark and deserted, he's giving us clues to the tone of what's going on in the life of Jesus at this point, even though it's early days in his ministry. Perhaps he's tipping us off that Jesus is already being challenged in terms of how he's going to go forward in his ministry if you think about what's happened in the first chapter of mark if you've been reading along with me you'll remember that his day before this night began on the sabbath he was in the synagogue teaching and he was interrupted it's the story we read last week interrupted by a man with an unclean spirit and he called the spirit out told the spirit to be silent and come out I suggested to us that even though those were words spoken from Jesus to the Spirit about listening and obeying, that also Mark meant those words for us. That it was important for us to listen to Jesus and obey when we have instructions and commands coming our way. But then he goes on from there, Mark tells us, and he goes to Simon's house And when they get there, they find out that Simon's mother-in-law is gravely ill. Jesus goes in and prays with her and heals her. And she is back. She stands up and begins to work around the household again, serving all of those who have come with Jesus. But then Mark tells us the word spreads. So many hear about what's happened To Simon's mother-in-law that a crowd gathers and by evening the house is surrounded by people clamoring to be close to Jesus, asking for prayer and healing. And Mark says that Jesus complies and responds to all of them. It would be a grueling day for anyone. The Sabbath day, not always a day of rest for rabbis. Well, I speculate I've never been a rabbi. But I have some experience on what the Sabbath day can bring for someone who's in leadership in a house of worship. So Rabbi Jesus has had a long day and gone to bed, but then before morning, he wakes up when it's still very dark and goes to a deserted place, and there he prays. Now maybe he just needed some quiet time away from the crowds. Or maybe he was seeking intimate time with his Father as he called God. Maybe he needed to reflect on what had happened. Or maybe he still had some anxiety about someone he met or a situation about which he heard the day before. Or maybe there just had been so many people that he just needed some peace and quiet by himself for a few minutes for prayer and reflection all of us need private time to think and pray to reflect and listen to ponder about what's going on in our lives and what god might be doing with us or for us these Practices that Jesus gives us an example of this morning of seeking out silence and solitude and times of prayer have been recommended by the wise ones in the tradition for ages, reminding all of us that we are healthier individually and we're more mature spiritually if we begin to find these times of prayer and silence and solitude on a regular basis. I mentioned to you last week John Wesley, founder of Methodism, and how one of his pastors was struggling with finding time for reading and prayer. And Wesley wrote him a letter that we have exhorting him, if you will, to start today, to make sure he was a man of prayer every day. Well, this week in my reading, I ran across a quote by Bishop Reuben Job, a bishop of the United Methodist Church, prolific spiritual writer, he comments about this very thing and then references that letter that Wesley wrote. He writes this, Decide today to establish a way of life that includes time for daily prayer, reflection, and regular worship in a congregation. Set aside a day every month When you will come apart to read, reflect, and pray in a leisurely and concentrated way. Then he says, John, Wesley was right. Don't wait. Begin today. And you'll remember if you were here last week, that's what Wesley said to that young preacher. Oh, begin. Fix a time today. Make it a pattern and a part of your life. But Bishop Job goes deeper in his writings, he delves into the human condition and begins to write and discuss that all of us are created by God with an internal yearning for connection with God. He says that God has created us to yearn for a relationship with the divine. But then he goes on to say, but remember the Bible also teaches us That God yearns to be in relationship with us. That God wants to draw us closer. That God desires communion and intimacy with each of us. And yet too often, the bishop says, we are distracted. We're disconnected. We sense an absence of God alive in our lives. Then he writes this. Jesus is our best example. He found it necessary to go aside and rest and pray again and again. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest, Ivy League professor, prolific writer. He wrote this sentence that stuck out to me when I read it this week. He said, "...solitude is the furnace of transformation." He goes on, without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Jesus Himself entered the furnace. There He affirmed God as the only source of His identity. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter. The struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers Himself as the substance of the new self, of a new life. Let me give you just one more quote in the same vein. It's from Emmett Fox. I've put it in your outline. He says, The still dwelling upon God is the quietest but the most Potent action of all. Over and over in the Gospels, they record that Jesus is a person of prayer. They start the story by saying that Jesus publicly started his ministry by seeking baptism, and they tell us he was praying. And then they say the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And what was he doing? He was praying. And then Mark tells us this morning in the Gospel, he got up very early in the morning when it was still dark and went to a place alone. And there he prayed. Jesus is a prayer. Jesus prays first. He makes it the first priority in the morning. I've been reading a book that's trying to capture how Jesus spent his time. The author entitled it, The Jesus Priorities, Eight Essential Habits. He describes in there that he's gone through the Gospels and kind of done a tally of how Jesus spends his time and what he's doing. He comes up with these eight essential habits or eight categories in terms of how he describes Jesus spending his time. He says, the way he counts it, healing is number one. And then he has a category called love that he says is number two. Then he says prayer is number three. But then down about number six, he has another category he calls seeking God's will. When I read about that, It sounded a lot like prayer to me. So I put seeking God's will and prayer together and it becomes number one on the list. It's at the top in terms of how Jesus spends His time and His life. I think it's fair to say that not only did Jesus prioritize prayer in the morning, but Jesus makes it the first priority in how He spends His time. Throughout his adult life. Where are you? How do you spend your time? What is the role of prayer or seeking God's will in your daily routine? Why not try it? Why not try to go deeper in terms of your life of prayer since it's so important in the story of who Jesus is and how He does what He does? Why not go deeper in terms of your own prayer experience? The life and practices of Jesus show us that prayer is pivotal to our Christian life. It's pivotal to our spiritual growth and maturity. If we're going to be a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, the Gospels make it very clear, prayer must be a part of your practices and a part of the rhythm of your living. But not only that, it benefits It's Benefits us in so many important ways certainly we can pray for others and that's an important thing but it's an important place for us to express our own needs to God to pour out our frustrations and our struggles to ask God for help to listen for God to respond to develop greater intimacy in terms of our own relationship and understanding of God And so many people report how they have a renewed sense of joy and peace and serenity because of their practice of prayer. You'll find greater strength and greater guidance in your life if you'll practice prayer more effectively. I've talked to so many people across the course of my ministry who are struggling with knowing what God wants for them or what God is saying to them in their lives. But most often then when we talk about their spiritual life, I find that they're not a person of prayer. They haven't been spending very much time talking nor listening to God. And it's no different than a relationship between two humans. If you want to be close to someone, if you want to grow a deeper relationship or greater intimacy, you have to spend time. So if someone complained to me that I don't know so-and-so, I don't feel very close to them, and then I found out they never talked to them, would any of us be surprised that they didn't feel close if they didn't have any communication or any experience of being together? Prayer is so important in terms of us developing our relationship with God and understanding who God is and what God is doing in our lives. People also report, though, it's a great experience of renewal and refreshment, of increasing energy and health and vitality and stability in their lives. Another aspect of private prayer is that it can be a time of private worship, of praise to God. But not only that, it can also prepare us for a deeper experience of worship when we come together. A lot of people recommend this. I don't know very many people who do it. But do you spend time in prayer before you come to church, before you come for worship? Is that a practice where you prepare your heart and mind, where you spend some time with God before you ever arrive? It will enrich your experience of worship, if you're deeply communing with God before you ever arrive. Prayer has so many benefits for us as Christians, and yet so often we miss it. In the Methodist movement, prayer is called one of the primary means of grace, That means that Methodists believe it's one of the primary places where we encounter God and experience God's blessings and the love and grace of God being poured into our hearts and lives is through prayer time. Prayer is good news to and for all of us. Theologically, it tells us that God is available to us and desires to commune with us. It tells us that this can be a real relationship between us and the divine. John Wesley has a great quote about this. He says, Do justice to your own soul. Give it time and means to grow. Do not starve yourself any longer. Do not starve yourself any longer. In other words, if you're not... Practicing prayer, you're starving your soul. There's so much power in the experience of regular prayer once you begin to practice it. Why not go deeper this year in your prayer life? A few years ago, I decided I needed to enhance my own prayer life, I needed to do something to go deeper. The United Methodist Church has a program through the Upper Room Division called the Academy for Spiritual Formation. I signed up. It's a two-year program. They ask you to go away for one week every quarter to spend some time in prayer and silence and study and worship and fellowship. And so I did that for two years. It was a rich experience. And surely it grounded me more deeply in my faith Help me with some prayer practices. Help me understand the history of faith and different spiritual practices Christians had used throughout the ages. But toward the very end of that experience, they say, guess what's going to happen when you finish your two years? You're going to go back to your regular life and it's going to crowd out this time unless you develop a rhythm or a pattern or a rule of life that includes times set apart, times for prayer and study and rest and reflection. They recommend to all of us that we establish some commitments of what we're going to do to continue deepening our prayer life. So I made a commitment to go away from my regular routine every two months for two days or 48 hours. I go over here to our Camp Egan and Retreat Center. It's a United Methodist campground near Tahlequah. It's a beautiful setting, a wooded area on the side of a mountain, kind of down in a valley, a couple of babbling brooks running through the campground. It's a beautiful setting in nature and God's creation. I spend most of the time in silence. It's a great way to deepen your prayer life, to listen for God. I call them Sumatonga Retreat. Sumatonga meaning a place of rest and vision. But it's not just for me. You're welcome to come. There's more than one room at the campground. If you think that that might help you, there's flyers out on the counters that will tell you more about them. The next one's coming up at the end of this month. We'll go on Wednesday, February 28 and stay through Friday about noon. On March 2nd, it will be a time of prayer and silence. Some worship together. Some fellowship and discussion. But it's a beautiful place to get away and deepen one's prayer life. But I also promise you this. It will help you clarify your purpose in Christ. It will help you clarify your purpose in Christ. In our story today, Mark makes it so very clear that not only did Jesus wake up in the night and go to a deserted place to pray, but it did something for Him in terms of His ongoing mission and ministry. We're told that after He's out there for a while, the disciples begin to search for Him. And they finally find Him. They say, come back. Everybody's looking for you. People are clamoring to be near you. But he declines. He says no. Verse 38. He answers them. Let us go to the neighboring towns. So that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. Jesus is clear about his calling. He's clear about his purpose. He's clear about where to go and what to do. After his time in prayer, he is ready to go. And even though others are trying to draw him in a different direction to go back to the woes he's already been with, he says, no, I'm called to go this way. Let's move in this direction. What might happen if all of us decided to go deeper in our prayer life this year? What might God do through us as a growing and living body of Christ? Amen.